Hello, and welcome to Spectology, the science fiction book club podcast. I'm your host, Adrian. And I'm Matt. And today we're talking about use of weapons. Um, as you all know, Spectology is a book club where every month we pick a book and we have two kind of longer episodes about the book. Earlier this month, we did our pre-read episode where we talked about the context of Ian Banks' use of weapons. And today we're going to talk about the book itself, really dig into the meat of it. Um, this will be a spoiler episode, so we'll be talking about spoilers. I think it's also bears repeating that this book is very violent and includes like a couple of scenes of what could be sexual violence, although it all happens fairly like off stage. Um, yeah. Anything else that we should mention before we dig into it, Matt? Yeah, uh, we will definitely be talking about the violence. That's one of the topics um, I'm interested in discussing. Uh, not in a gratuitous way, but it is definitely going to be discussed. Yeah, it's it's there and not. <laughs> I don't think there's any way around it. Great. Okay, so um, this is the first time that we're doing one of these post-read uh, episodes. So the way that we're going to do it uh, today is we're going to talk about the characters. We're going to give a short summary of the novel. Ex- you know, again, full spoilers, expecting you've read it. Uh, then we're going to talk about certain like themes and ideas we had about the novel. Um you know, one of them is the plot, the way the narrative works in this story, um, as well as the way the narrative works in the culture novels overall. Uh, we're going to talk about the twist at the end. We're going to talk about violence um, as a kind of general theme of the book. Uh, we'll discuss utopia and then also discuss free will and the minds and AI. AI, that's a hot topic. I, I, I. God, that was terrible. I should not. <laughs> uh, you're the best. And I, love I know. Um, all right, cool. So, um, <clears throat> I mean, really, there are three main characters in this book, right? Yeah. Quick summary uh, right off the bat. Who's who? What's what? Right. What happens? How do you pronounce um, their names? Well, so my favorite way, which you may disagree with, Tretanine Zakulway is how I have been saying it to myself. Right. He's the main character. Cheridanine's the callway. Uh yeah, okay. It's uh it's a mouthful. Then of course his his, you know, his handler in special circumstances, Dizit Sma. I said to myself, Dizit Sma. <laughs> that's 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 a way one could say it. You have to figure that Ian M. Banks, um, being, as far as I know, a monolingual Scot, had a lot of fun making up these names. <laughs> right. <laughs> I wonder. I wonder if the the audio books have like preferred pronunciations. That's a great question. I don't know. Um, and then finally, of course, uh, Smaz, sort of like her own sidekick handler, whatever. Um, the drone scoffin omtiska just just omtiska i don't don't know i don't think either of us know how to pronounce that one exactly i have no idea either uh scoffin omtiska scoffin scoffy scaffy 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 when we talk about violence it will be impossible to not talk about him yeah um yeah so the the you know uh, you've read the book. I've read the book. Hopefully our sure readers have. have either read the book or, you know, we've gone back and forth about how to do this. We at one point discussed actually like going through the book kind of like plot point by plot point, And I don't think we're going to do that. Um, but I did want to give kind of like a general overview. You know, this is a book about 
largely about Sakalway um, and about his sort of like adventures in the culture. He wasn't born in the culture. His, you know, he wasn't, how was he was found by the culture more or less and um, groomed to be one of their, their special agents. I mean, he's like the uh, special circumstances is kind of like the MI6 of the culture. And he's, he's, he's one of their James Bonds, although I think a little bit less, uh, yeah, a little bit more interesting than James Bond, maybe (laughs) at least James (laughs) Bond in the movies. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know if he's quite rises to the level of uh, Casino Royale, the book James Bond. Right. But he he is, uh, uh, you know. Have you read the James Bond books? That first one, yes, Casino Royale. I never Uh, have. It's pretty good. It's pretty good. I've heard Bond is handled a lot more, like, interestingly in the books than in the movies. Um, Yes, at least in that book. Not in all the books, uh, you know. Right. but we can do a different podcast about those if you want. I mean, I, th- I think if, you know, talking about it in the context of this, you know, when we get further into him would be, a, be would be a good idea. No need to self-censor. Oh, good point. Good point. <laughs> so true. So true, Adrian. Um, yeah. I actually, speaking oh, of yeah. not self-censoring, I have a quote here from the book just on the subject of special circumstances, since it's, since what special circumstances is, is so central to the plot. Mm-hmm. And I also think this is a really cool... Uh, quote. Um, this is a, a bit about, uh, this is a, maybe two-thirds through the book, Dazit Sma talking to Zakawi, um, and she describes special circumstances in a cool way. Um, she says, uh, basically, they're talking about whether or not what they're doing is morally right, mm-hmm. and she and, and it proceeds as follows. Sma sighed. In the water, this meant that she bobbed up and then sank down a little. Who knows, Zakawi? We don't know that. We think we're right. We even think we can prove it. But we can never be sure. There are always arguments against us. There is no certainty. Least of all in special circumstances where the rules are different. I thought the rules were meant to be the same for everybody. They are. But in special circumstances, we deal in the moral equivalent of black holes, where the normal laws, the rules of right and wrong that people imagine apply everywhere else in the universe, break down. Beyond those metaphysical event horizons, there exist special circumstances, she smiled. That's us. That's our territory, our domain. Well, that's a... I mean, I think that really gets at the heart of what special circumstances is, which is, you know, the culture believing in their utopian system wants to, you know, kind of like the Borg. I mean, we talked a lot about Star Trek, but they want to assimilate. <laughs> you know, they're... they're, they're um, prime directive is to like go make contact and like bring people into the culture because it's better than whatever it is that they're doing um but to do that requires some you know not everyone's ready for the culture right away um and oftentimes the path to you know being assimilated involves a lot of violence and involves a lot of social upheaval if nothing else and so they have this special group of people that essentially do spy work skullduggery military work stuff that most people probably wouldn't want to do but that they believe needs to be done in order to accomplish that goal and uh charadanine zakalway <laughs> is one of their top men yep top men and does not want to be doing it well that's an interesting question isn't it 
Right. I mean, he wants to be doing it. He just doesn't want them as bosses, I think is, you know, at least at the beginning of the of the novel when we find him. And I think maybe it's actually worth kind of talking through the plot of the novel at this point, which is, you know, we find the callway kind of at the beginning of the novel, um, you know, trying to be special circumstances himself, trying to trying to do special circumstances better than the culture can. And, uh, you know, assassinating a head of government and, you know, trying to give other heads of government, uh, uh, what, like genetic, like youth. And it goes terribly wrong. <laughs> He's not very good at it. It turns out that a single human <laughs> is not as good as like a network of, you know, hundreds of AI minds thinking about this stuff. Um, Although I think the, I think the question remains. I mean, like obviously he botched the whole thing, but I think the question of like you know the minds treat it as if like he had no moral authority to be doing this, and I think that that we can question and interrogate a little bit. Oh yeah, I have thoughts about that for sure. Right. Um, do you want to finish out the plot or just yeah, dive right in? Let's talk about at least the the the, the plot of the main storyline of the novel, which is you know, Sma finds a callway. It takes a while to find him. She has a you know big orgy with a ship and its you know pets, its pet humans, <laughs> <laughs> and um, you know finds him and convinces him to do it. He goes to a planet, makes a you know. I actually really enjoyed the scenes of him on the planet, you know, sort of like becoming a mogul and trying to get the attention more or less of this guy who he wants to recruit for the culture. Um, ends up finally recruiting him and they go to another planet where, you know, Zakalway is treated as like a cult leader. Um, and I think this is where it gets, you know, kind of interesting. It's like they're they're fighting a war kind of on the ground finally at this point. And you really realize that like, wow, the minds might have like, you know, give him like, you know, oh, you have to, you know, fight the war and help these people win. It's like the minds don't care who wins or loses. Like, that's not the point. Their point is to, you know, like over the next like century, move the culture of this place to the point where it can get, you know, totally assimilated by the the culture, capital C culture. And, uh, you know, sometimes that requires like helping one side win. And sometimes it requires like not helping them win and helping them lose why they think they're helping them win. And, uh, you know, Zakalway gets caught up in all of that. Um, and then we get to the end. And I think I think we can save the end and the twist for a little bit later when we talk about the twist more in depth. Um, and, yeah. I, you know, what I find interesting is, is interspersed in this and, and going, you know, kind of mo- more or less backwards in time are the... You know, it's it's like Zakalway's past. You kind of, like, learn more and more about who he was and how he became the person he is today. And, uh, you know, those are kind of neat because each of those almost acts as a standalone short story. It's almost like you have this, you know, single narrative and the main narrative and then a bunch of short stories, each one kind of flashing back further and further into the past. Um, And some of them are short and sweet and some of them are like also insanely violent and about war or, you know whatever um we can <laughs> whatever we can indeed some of those yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah um, i mean i think it's it's actually really interesting i'll just say like a quick as a as as a quick aside although maybe we'll get into it in the in the first segment but um the way that the the plot is structured is pretty interesting in this book it's not a straightforward you know this happened then this happened then this right. happened then this happened um, it's it's a little bit more complicated than that. Um, so you know, 
guess we'll get into that in a couple minutes. We could do that right now, actually. Right. Well, I think I think before um, so we've done we've done we've kind of talked about the book and the characters a little bit. Um, before we get into the themes and like what we really want to dig into, uh, did you like the book? Great question. <laughs> um, I think we it's feel an interesting. Ways. So yeah, I mean, I have a lot of thoughts about it. Obviously, this is the point of this podcast. I it I I love the culture series. This yeah. is not one of my favorite culture series books. No, I think it might be my least favorite culture book. Yeah, I especially I, upon yeah. rereading it, I'd say. Yeah, I mean, I think I'm right around there. To be honest, I I would rate it probably at the bottom of the culture books that I have read, right. which does not mean it's not worth reading. Do I think it's worth reading? Uh, if you like the culture and you've already enjoyed a bunch of other culture books, then yes, I would say so. But I would not recommend this as the first one or even the second culture book that a person should read. No, I, I agree. Um, you know, especially when I, when I first chose it, I chose it because like, oh, I thought, oh, it's a very good standalone culture novel. It doesn't require that you know much else about the culture to get the plot and get what's going on. So I can recommend it as a first culture novel. Having reread it, I think I was a little bit in correct in that like i think it's actually like really does benefit from knowing more about the culture and also you know i i guess i would recommend this for people who have read other culture novels and want to you know read more of them i would also recommend it potentially to people who really like military science fiction like we we talked about that a lot last last time and i think that folks who are into military sci-fi might enjoy this book and like have sort of like a dialogue with this book um, from that perspective that could be really interesting. Mm. Yeah, there's a lot of it's it's it I would it's definitely like really interesting to contrast um, the version of military sci-fi that Ian M. Banks does. Ian M. Banks, comma you know noted socialist leaning author, <laughs> you know right. with left left wing politics, but who doesn't shy away from depicting violence gruesomely. Um, it's really interesting to contrast how he talks about these classic military and, and spy and hard SF themes with, you know, for instance, uh, pick, pick your Bane book, you know, right. <laughs> Bane is of course a publishing company noted for publishing a lot of, uh, hard SF and military SF and stuff with more right, uh, right wing, you know, political leanings. Yeah. I think, I think that that, you know, uh, uh, so so we're going to reference the last podcast a lot. And honestly, if you haven't listened to the pre-read podcast, you should read that first so that we don't have to keep say, saying, you know, repeating ourselves there. <laughs> but I do think I, I completely agree. I think that the 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 in like my interest in this is as much as like it as like I like it a lot more than I like other military sci-fi. But I think part of the reason I don't like it as much as the other culture novels is because I don't particularly like military sci-fi. That's not usually what I choose to read when i'm picking up a book hmm interesting i actually do like military sci-fi you know you know now that i think about it i i like military sci-fi pretty well it's not something i've read as much like i i guess there's a stereotype that there is a type of science fiction reader who right. reads a ton of military sf and nothing and no other sf um right. i don't know how true that stereotype is but i i'm not i'm not that i definitely read other stuff too um, and I don't even really primarily read military stuff, but, um, despite the fact that I like that sort of thing, I, I almost, I, I don't think of this book as a, as an exemplar of the genre so much as like a weird, huh. a weird, a weird offshoot. 
right like an um, outlier of the genre yeah and it's interesting for that reason yeah um it's like a weird contrast um given its structure given what the themes are which i think are somewhat different from a lot of military sf mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. I, for instance i you know i think a lot of military science fiction books deal very heavily in uh you know i off the top of my head i think there's kind of uh, there's a couple really big things that recur over and over again one is the just the horrors of war i guess you would say yeah um the the awfulness of being a soldier a lot of military sf authors were themselves in the military um Mm -hmm. and they write passionately many of them have written passionately um or at least um, astutely about what it's like to be a grunt. I'm thinking of like the Forever War or Old Man's War. Yeah. Or um, you I think know, honestly, Heinlein even to a degree would would do that. Yeah. Like for all yeah. of his right, you know, his right leaning tendencies, he also like wrote eloquently about like both the good and, and the bad of being on the battlefield. Right. And Ender's Game and Xenocide famously have oh, a lot yeah. to say about this. Um, uh, and another big theme, you know, that gets dealt with a lot would be, um, the free will, I guess you might call it because basically, you know, the, so often the soldier is confronted with orders that he may or may not feel comfortable obeying. Right. Um, that's a big theme in a lot of these, I think. And, uh, it's really interesting to, to get, um, you, if you contrast a lot of these other books with, with this book. Ian M. Banks's view on these, his take on these themes, he does deal with them, um, but his take is a little bit different. I mean, I think you know what we're going to get into it more, but like his take on um, the horrors of war is he's definitely got a view on that. He definitely thinks it's horrible, but he also sort of almost he 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 almost revels in take in not taking a strong position on that, like in in like highlighting the. The, contra- the contradictions mm-hmm. between, you know, I mean, I guess, what do I mean by that? I mean, you know, on the one hand, you, you know, violence is terrible and it's awful and everybody gets hurt and everybody feels bad and it ruins lives. Right. On all sides. On the other hand, like sometimes is violence necessary? Question mark. Right. And that's the, that's the central contradiction. And, and, you know, whereas a lot of people, they lean into the feeling badness of it all, uh-huh. or, or maybe they lean into the, yes, it is necessary you know, argument. Right. Um, but in and banks, I feel like he's just like almost just like he's swimming around grinning in the soup, <laughs> in the soup of contradiction, just enjoying it, feeling like a contradiction, not coming right. down in any way. Well, it strikes me that he doesn't really moralize about the like violence and horror of war, nor does he particularly moralize with like the idea that like, Oh, it's necessary. And you know, thus, you know, the ends justify the means or anything like that. Um, for being a, you know, like a human being who, who was very clearly opinionated about this stuff. I think, I think one of the interesting things about his novels is that he doesn't like moralize a whole lot with them and rather sort of like presents the story as it, as it happened, you know, air quotes. Um, but, and kind of, you know, like clearly has an opinion about it, but is also going to like let you figure out what his opinion is and not going to, you know, I, I wouldn't say that there is a author stand in character like Zakalway is not Banks. 
Smaw is not Banks. Scoffin is not Banks. Like none of the ships are like no one is Banks in this. Like you know, Banks yeah. is is you know yeah. interested in kind of giving you a story and letting you figure out how you feel about that story, which I I think is really cool. Um, I, I, I that's one of the things I like about the culture novels, and one of the ways I think that this one is successful. Agreed. Also, like, do you want to talk about the plot? Yeah, let's do that. All right. So by plot, I guess we mean two things. We mean like the literal plot, like what happened and kind of what are the Mm -hmm. juicy sort of like narrative things that are going on. But also like one level up, kind of like how does plot work in this book? Uh, The narrative structure in particular. Exactly. Right. Yeah, exactly. Because I do think it's a little bit unique. It's a little bit unusual. It's not quite the, the standard thing. It's not even it's not even like a standard story with a couple flashbacks. It's a little bit more interesting even than that. No, um, and we we talked a little bit about last time about how Ken McLeod, one of one of his friends and fellow Scottish sci-fi author, helped him like rework the novel he had written into this particular plot um, uh, structure, this particular narrative structure, and um, I I I do I think that is one of the things that actually works really well in in being a novel about that is so much about one person. Like it's really a novel with like a main focus character, um, which, which not all of the culture novels are. In fact, I'd say I'd hazard that most culture novels have at least two or three kind of main characters in them. Um, yeah, this one is, Oh yeah, go ahead. Sorry. I was just gonna, yeah, they're, they're more ensemble. This is, I didn't think of that, but you're right. This is one character, uh, book. Absolutely. And, you know, you get kind of viewpoint characters from a few of the other or viewpoint chapters from a few of the other characters, but they never feel like main characters. You know, they they're they're never like who the book is about, like their their viewpoint, because it's interesting to know what other people think about Sakalway, not because other people are interesting. (laughs) Yeah. And, And it's even so, you know, from a structural perspective, you've got the beginning of the book is other character viewpoints. Mm-hmm. The, the middle of the book is a callway viewpoints. The end of the book, it gets bookended with more other character viewpoints. Right. And in fact, you have different character viewpoints at the beginning and at the end. Um, so it's this really cool structure where it's it's almost, it, it has this cool symmetry. Uh, it has like cool, like symmetry in time, beginning, end. And mm-hmm. it also has this cool kind of um, symmetry in time the other way where... right. As it as the narrative progresses forward in like some chapters, it progresses backward in like alternating chapters. So you'll get a chapter of stuff that's happening in the present, like moving forward. The next chapter will be a flashback. Um, that's further each, back than the previous exactly, flashback. Each, each for, yeah, right. each further back. Um, well, and it's so an it's, interesting way to to you know it, in in being a book about a like singular person and a single person. It's an interesting way to you know, reveal more about that person, reveal more about their backstory. You know, it, it almost, I'm just thinking of this, but it almost strikes me that it's, it's a little bit like therapy almost, you know, it's kind of like peeling back the layers <laughs> and like going back further and further into like, okay, why is this person the person that they are? Cause yeah. that's really what I think. I think that's the question that Banks is posing here is not, and maybe this is part of why he isn't moralizing about violence and war and this kind of stuff. Like while it is a wartime novel, it's also like not necessarily a military sci-fi novel because it's really a character study. It so happens that the character is a soldier, but that's, you know, that's because that's an interesting type of character. 
Yeah, I mean, another interesting thing to say about this is that, you know, in a, you know, in some sense, like each culture novel is um, investigating a different set of philosophical issues surrounding the existence of the culture, or, mm. or a different set of emotional responses, or emotional struggles that a person might have in the world of the culture. This yep. book is, the title of this book kind of, you know, sets up how the book works, which is that this book is about weapons and violence and fighting and how those things relate to the culture. It's about other things too, but but in a big way, you know, f- compared to other culture books, you know, you've got The Player of Games, which mm-hmm. is about games and play and how artificial combat and competition interacts with real combat and competition. Then you've got this right. book, you've got um, Accession is a book about out of context problems, which right. is like the fucking coolest phrase, and I love that. I that, it. it's such a good book. It's such a good the accession prob- is great. I mean, the reason that we like we've both gushed about accession on both of these episodes, and the reason we didn't yeah. pick it is because do not read that book first. Like, it's probably mm-hmm. the only culture novel that I would say you really must read another culture novel first to, and and preferably like you know read one or two or three other culture novels first. It really doesn't matter which ones, but that will give you so much more enjoyment of that book i had a lot so my my progress through the culture was i started with consider flebus and then i read the player of games yeah and i really liked doing it that way i like those are the first two that were published and they're also the first two that i read and I, i thought that actually worked really well even though not all the culture novels are in any kind of chronological order like you don't have to read them in order to get the plot it's more a question of like what's the most reasonable introduction to this world that will leave you mm-hmm. they'll give you the most enjoyment yeah i i always recommend reading at least one of those two first then reading the other one then reading accession then reading look to windward actually because i think that's uh that's my other favorite one um and i think you know, it, it's funny, it's not actually a wartime novel necessarily, but it gets a lot more to this kind of stuff about like, you know, uh, uh, for lack of a better word, moralizing about war. It's not that it does moralize so much as it really kind of like asks questions about like what are good actions in war and when is war appropriate, like more so than use of weapons does, because it is a little bit less like it's more of an ensemble novel. And it's more about like, what are the effects of war after the fact, as opposed to like, while it's happening. Yeah. In a weird way, this book, you know, I I honestly think it's sort of almost like doesn't quite work, even though it's like, he's a good enough writer. Ian Banks is a good enough writer that like, it's not that it, isn't an enjoyable book to read in some sense, but it's just sort of what he's trying to do doesn't quite come off maybe because the book yeah. at the end, you know, you, you feel like it was set up to be a book about violence and war and the culture and you ended up with instead a book about one guy investigating this one guy almost in a sort of mystery Romana Clef kind of way. Like, who is he really? Right. It's like, it's like Citizen Kane. If anyone's seen that movie, it's like the whole thing is about one guy and like his secret and like, uncovering right. the reality of this person. Um, and well, and I think it's worth, it's worth interrogating the twist a little bit because, because honestly, yeah, the twist is part of why I don't like this book as much and part of why I don't think it works. So the twist at the end is right. Is that Zakalway is not actually Zakalway. The man who we know as Zakalway from the flashbacks killed himself and his stepbrother, who was this tyrant took his name, felt, 
bad about what he had done and left and has like, you know, continued to like live and pretend that he is a callway and come to believe it himself, I think we're meant to yeah. believe. Or or um, maybe if he doesn't, then he like he's like in denial in, in a sense. Like he, he right, maybe somehow realizes it's it's a lie, but he like can't face the fact that he's living a lie. You know? Right. So he does it. Well, and that's his his like at the very end when he's forced to face it, he like what has like a stroke or something like like very literal yeah <laughs> situation happens yeah um, yeah it's really so basically the situation is you've got this person enmeshed in this really um you know over the top disgusting absurd awful family drama of the sort mm-hmm. that like involves torture and violence and war and death right. well we can talk about i mean like people have read the book i mean like right. he tortures the like you know sister who your stepsister at least that he's in love with yeah and kills her yeah and makes a chair out of her bones which is <laughs> so gross yeah it's disgusting and and like so you've got this like way insane family drama you know producing this like really fucked up person out of the family um who you know is is we're meant to believe completely motivated by a desire to twin desires to escape the terrible things that he's done in the past and like somehow get forgiveness from the one other living close family member right his other sister his like stepsister the one he didn't kill um and it's it's really fucked up and it's it's not it 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 has um it it lacks uh a kind of emo on the one hand, it is gratuitous and over the top, and on the other hand, it yeah. lacks a kind of emotional realism. Um, I think you know, like a lot of really, really dark story, dark like like the way I think about it almost is like stories that are that intend to be dark and portray really dark things and like live in this like very dark place. Dark stories. There are these you know classic problems that dark stories often have when they don't work, and one of them is kind of like losing sight of any redeeming quality in the story itself. Even if you don't want your characters to have redeeming qualities, even if you want to depict a a terrible character, if darkness is too relentless, then it becomes necessarily gratuitous and it loses its power to move or be interesting. and this right. is not quite that bad. Like it doesn't. It's not like it's not black and white. You don't either have this problem or not. This this story has some of that problem. I think. Well, and I think I think part of it for me at least is it it retroactively makes the callway a lot less sympathetic, but also it retroactively makes some of his decisions almost like feel like they make less sense to me. Like if he's. I don't know. I had this problem where like once you get the reveal that like, oh, all actually he's his brother and he was the one who did these like horrible, terrible things. Um, it feels it feels almost like, oh, it's shocking and it's a twist and you never saw it coming. But there's the question of like, OK, well, why didn't we see it coming? Like if we've give we've been given his whole history, like both forward and backwards in time and we didn't see this coming at all. Like how how does that happen? How does a person, you know. I, I, right, I think it would be a lot more interesting if the story were Zakalway has told himself this lie about you know why his sister was killed and why his stepbrother had his sister in the first place, and it turns out that he being 
political and trying to like make the situation work actually like exchanged her as a hostage and she ended up dying because of him and that's the reason that his sister hates him and like he's kind of in denial about like the fact that he did this really terrible thing and it he some of it, the culpability is actually on him on Zakawe as Zakawe but instead in being like no it's actually this other guy and he has fake memories and he's trying to like live this life like it just doesn't work and it doesn't seem to actually like interrogate the question of like what is culpability and who has culpability in these situations instead it seems to be like gotcha and that and that's about it yeah i totally agree and one of the reasons why it feels like gotcha is that like there is no explanation for how not zakalway became not zakalway like we're we're like the twist is basically like oh this evil person is actually zakalway but like how did that happen and why and like what (laughs) and like what possible like emotional back background is there to that that is like a whole other book that isn't written here and that we isn't even really hinted at right not at all and so instead of a potential real emotional like you know i i I agree with your your suggestion that that would be better i think i think there are probably a lot of other things that would have been better too and it's just like instead of and and the core difference between those things that would be better and what we have is that what we have has no no real seeming emotional explanation Mm -hmm. and what would be better is if there were one (laughs) <laughs> right, exactly, exactly. Um, and I think, you know, I kind of want to segue into the, the next theme of talking about violence a little bit here. And I, do it, and dude. I think that part of, you know, part of why this, like, uh, you know, like an interesting question is why do good people do bad things? And can you be a good person if you do bad things? And, you know, I, I have my own answer to that, which is like, no, you are the things that you do and nothing more and nothing less. Um, but you know, I think that that's still like kind of an interesting question, especially in a book about war, about a good society doing bad things about like a society, you know, trying to right? like the culture, for instance, doesn't simply come into these other cultures and like take the people and bring them into the culture. Instead, they like take the society over a very long period of time and turn it into a society that the, can be accepting of the culture and will want to, of its own accord, whatever that means at this point, join the culture. Um, and so what the culture has to do is go in and not just kill a bunch of people and like, you know, manipulate them and, you know, like fight their wars for them and all of this. They also have to like destroy the cultures, the small sea cultures of these planets that they're going to, right? Like if the culture were to come here to uh, to Earth and to, you know, try to bring Earth into the culture, it would completely homo- ho- like make homogenous all the cultures on Earth. It would, <laughs> you know, like potentially like throw us into disarray, like a lot of people would die and like all Earth culture would kind of like disappear and not matter anymore. So, it, you know, it assassinates not just on the personal level, but also on the cultural level. It sounds like, it whether sounds, that's good yeah. is a good question. It sounds like we have an Idiran sympathizer in our midst. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so, so to be clear, the, the Idirians are the the like bad guys from the first the Consider Flabus novel, and uh, I, I wouldn't go so they far. They fight as the that. culture. They are anti culture. Like they are anti culture, but the reason that they're anti culture is because they are pro slavery. <laughs> well, culture is definitively that's not what they would so. say. Maybe. Uh, I think I think so, right? Like they're pretty. Like I guess they would say some other stuff about slavery. honor. 
Well, no, but but specifically, right? Like their whole thing is that the, the minds cannot, like AI is not human, and thus like has no rights, and that's the that's the reason that the culture fights them, right? Like that's the reason behind the actual. Well, like, war there's that other happens. stuff too. The Idirians are like expansionist xenophobes. So they yes. like conquer everyone else around them too, and they're like right. heading into culture territory, right? But I think there's a, there's the di- like the culture could have chosen to like just wall off space and not let them through, and instead chose to like right. decimate and destroy them. Um, right. And and that choice is one that they make, I think, specifically because of the mind. Yeah, issue. but but I actually the reason I was I I made a a a, 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 a wisecrack about uh, Adrian's <laughs> sympathies, his his political sympathies, um, is because I think you're not entirely. I mean, like the it's not entirely fair to say that the culture um, uh, homogenizes everything it encounters. I mean, like what it, it one of the things that that defines it is its diversity. One of the things that you can do in the culture is anything you want. You know, within very, very broad limits, you can choose right. to. You can, but, in fact, choose to do very dangerous things, so long as you're not hurting other people. If you want in the culture, totally. you well, can, and like, you can smoke, you can drink, you can like do right. dangerous sports, and you can even become a warrior. And I've, but I've, I've, you know, I've talked about this. You can't, you can even hurt other people as long as you have their permission. But I right. think the key element of that is that you can do that once you're in the culture. And to be in the culture, then at, at any point that you're, you know, you know, to be to be a, 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 for instance, like a Native American in the culture, say that we we you know Earth is assimilated and someone wants to be like a Native Alaskan and like practice Native Alaskan culture inside of the culture, to do that would be by necessity some sort of like simulacrum of Native American culture because in order to have been assimilated into the culture, that would have had to be like completely tamped out to a degree to like bring everyone. Well, no, I mean, my impression of it, I mean, this is one of the things about the way that these books are constructed is that like, we don't have like a one definitive, like even this is a really cool thing actually about the structure of the series. We don't have one definitive view of the culture that we would have if we were only following like one group of characters or one timeline. We have this like kaleidoscope of different views of the culture, different characters, different timelines, different perspectives, love, lovers of the culture, haters of the culture, my, humans, aliens, whatever. We have all these different lenses on it. And um, the impression I get from that like pointless picture is that, you know, probably somewhere out there, there is a mind who is like pro-Native American and like <laughs> makes makes a whole planet for the Native Americans. And, like, right. Or turns you, his like, you know, GSV ship into like a, <laughs> you know, like something out of one of their legends. Exactly. And, and that's something that like... I mean, it's it's tough, right? Like, you can't go back in time and like, like give give back what was taken already, you know. Mm-hmm. But so, what can the culture offer? Well, it can offer like any future thing, you know. Right. And right. and so it's like, okay, well, I mean, that's but that's not that's different from homogenizing. You know, right. they're not saying you all have to do one thing. They're saying they're saying like, I think it's actually really interesting to think about what it is they're saying because it's hard to get a grip on it like it is and i, I think i think you're right that i'm doing it a little bit of a disservice here um but i do i do think that there's you're and you're very right to point out that you know the books and the viewpoints we get i mean just just the books like the the consider flabus is set you know 2000 years before the hydrogen sonata i think or or, or, or 
surface detail or one of the, right? Like there's the, between the earliest and the latest, there's like a 2000 year time stretch between those two. Um, not as long as the foundation series timeline. No, who, not as who's long. winning that battle. I mean, banks who, who well, <laughs> who knows what banks would have written had he still been writing in the culture series, which he had you know, oh, hoped to have been doing. I know that's, that's sad. sad, sad, sad boys, sad boys, Adrian and Matt. Um, <laughs> I, I am actually, he, he passed away very recently and it is actually, I, it did actually yeah, make me sad when it happened. I, yeah, I mean, I was, I like, you know, I was reading his blog and stuff and he's, you know, posting about, I have brain cancer and I'm going to die within a few months. And, you know, this was my last stuff and thank you everybody. And it was, it was really hard. It was, you know, it was, it was sad. I was very sad by the whole thing. Um, do Likewise. We, do we want, did you, did you have more that oh, you Oh yeah, I do want to say, yeah. I do want to say one thing about violence in this book. One thing that I think is really interesting is just how much violence there is in this book. And yeah. how and how much I get violence... inured to it a little bit. I kind of like yeah. gloss over it, I think. No, I mean that does happen to me too, but just stepping back for a second like it's interesting to think about a series that is ostensibly about utopia and mm-hmm. the real and the and the issues that surround utopia and the issues that's around like how this would work and like how you know and, and it's it's like there's two maybe there's two ways to look at what the culture books are about like at a really high level like they're about utopia and they're also about like how do we feel about utopia what would yeah. be required for utopia and how do we feel about that um not just like literally what would be required but like what emotionally would be required what kinds of um what mindset should we have or or might we need to have or whatever and Mm -hmm. like one interesting thing is you know i think a lot of a lot of people over the centuries have thought of um the perfect world or the perfect society as as being peaceful and it's interesting to think about how this isn't and like you know the culture is essentially peaceful within it within it's also it's also like riotous and like messy (laughs) in a a way that like a lot of utopias right and it's also and it's also like committed to proactive violence right throughout the galaxy in a way that like star trek federation isn't and like why are they why are they and well well it's like basically for you know uh, you know, Samantha Power style reasons, by which I mean, you know, Samantha Power was the former ambassador to the UN in America. Uh, and she famously wrote a book about how genocide is terrible and we need to do everything we can to like proactively go out into the world and prevent genocide from happening. Right. And that's associated with like a bunch of philosophical points of view about the, the responsibility that powerful people have with respect to like less powerful people in the face of violence being done to them well i and think so, it's it's less yeah. like a samantha powers and more quite frankly a marxist thing right this idea that like i and i think that the culture is absolutely marxist and not just in the sense of like oh it's a communist society which it is but also in the sense of like you know history has this arc and part of what's like uh, contact and special circumstances do is they try to like fit these non-culture cultures into the arc of history that will like let them become communist will let them like enter into the culture um 
And, you know, and I, I think there's a very real element of like, you know, not just looking at, you know, the U.S. and the Obama years, but also looking to the USSR um, and seeing like, you know, when when, you know, as much as the USSR hated imperialism, <laughs> it was also an imperial power. Um, and like the question of like, why is that, I think, is is part of what use of weapons and the other culture novels are getting at. I think you're you're right that that he was familiar, like that, that there's a certain element of like, that this is historical materialism, like that, that like a core part of the way he thinks about history has to do with historical materialism. Although to like, to be very fair to Ian and Banks, he's a lot more subtle about how he thinks about it than like a lot of um, Marxist theoreticians oh, have yeah. been. He, yeah. he does not, he, he's like willing to deal in ambivalence Absolutely. when it comes to like, when it comes to the question of like, is it literally true that this development stage follows this development stage necessarily by immaculate logic? He's willing to be ambivalent about that, and like, you know, to his credit. But I do think that um, the the way that intervention that like that like uh, extraterritorial intervention works for the culture has a lot less to do with the USSR in Angola or Cuba or whatever than it does with the United States in Kosovo um, or like the United States in uh, Iraq, which I know, you know, Ian M. Banks was enormously anti-Bush, anti-war, right. anti-Iraq war, um, very like vocally anti those things. Um, I think that, you know, when he's, t- to me, when I read him talking about the culture intervening in a way that like is getting fucked up, he's thinking about, Iraq and when when I'm reading him you know talking about the culture intervening in a way that's like fucked up but like maybe also helping people he's thinking about um bombing Serbia right Slobodan Milosevic or whatever yeah yeah I think I mean I don't I don't I think that there's something to that in some of the circumstances that we see right I think there's something to that in some of the like oh like clearly like this is a really like bad planet with like really bad people like in charge of it and we need to like stop this like that clearly happens but there's also an element in in and I think honestly that this is the case of the 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 sort of like final sets of planets Right. Like the culture isn't going in to depose a particular ruler like they're not going in because like these guys are like much worse than these other guys. And so we need to stop the like really bad guys. They're going in because they want this whole cluster of systems to become part of the culture. And I think in that way, it does look a little bit more like communism in the USSR where they, you know. They go into Ukraine not just because, like, well, it's, you know, it's good to have, like, this buffer between us and Europe and everything, but also because, you know, the the lives of the people there are, like, bad and medieval, and we need to, like, set them on the course to communism. Yeah, I mean, I think that's that's a... Ideologically, at least, right? His, like, like, the, 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 right. the practicality of the USSR, I'm not saying, is, like, actually there, but there's this ideological element of it that I think exists, which is which is not just that, like, oh, like you know, genocide is bad, but like anything less than the culture is bad and we need to turn everyone into this because it is the one good thing. I think he absolutely is thinking of socialism, like ex- the, of, of, a, of a, like a, a, an old school, like small s socialism expanding across the globe inexorably. But when I think about like, but I think like the, 
the details of that, the like really sort of practical, like real world details he's drawing upon and the, the, the precise mechanisms by which he's like imagining this kind of expansion of culture mm-hmm. are a lot more like, they're a lot more like what people in the 90s and early aughts used to think the march of history, uh, you know, with the West and small L liberalism and like capitalism coming out on top was going to look like. Mm. They're much closer to like a, you know, it, it, you know, although he is, although the future he wants is socialist, like in a basic way, or like social democrat, social socially well, democratic. Anarcho-syndicalist maybe. Yeah, fine. Um, although it's not like a neoliberal future that right, he wants, right. the, 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 the way that it's spreading is actually like, kind of looks like Fairly how neoliberals liberal, right yeah yeah it looks like it's a farid zakaria or like a or like a you know yeah well um, and we talked about this a little bit in the last episode that there is this kind of tension in the culture of sort of like is it you know is it actually anarchist or is it you know managed central state just happened to be managed by the minds <laughs> you know like to what degree is it actually you know anarcho syndicalist anarcho communist versus you know, fairly neoliberal. It's just that the we minds could easily kind of like move you around where you want, where you think you want to go. Right. We could easily add a whole theme section about the nature of intelligence and the way in which I think we're meant to be. We're meant to think that like it's possible that it could be either or both, and it's also possible that like some of the minds don't even know because other minds are like <laughs> yeah. You know, 10 light years ahead of them or whatever. Right. Well, and like, I think, I think accession gets into that a little bit with the way yeah. that like my, when you see the mind politics and the way mind politics work, it's, it's really fascinating. Um, yeah. cool. Did we, did we, so, you know, I'm looking at this, these topics that we talked about and, um, you know, utopia and free will and minds and characters versus ideas. Do you have a particular that you want to dig into here? Yeah. Um, I think, I mean, we've touched a little bit on all of these. We have, we have. There's, there's. I feel like there's always so much more to say. I know. Um, I'll say something about Utopia in that case. Um, I think um, we have talked about this a little, but I wanted to say a little bit more about, you know, the nature, the exact nature of the Utopia that's depicted here is really interesting to me because it's not, it's different from other Utopias. And it's also like what we're, what we're given of it is not, like so often the way a utopian work of literature works is that the thing that's presented to us is not in fact something we're supposed to really like but rather like a cautionary tale like right. utopia is actually not really what this cracked up to be like it's it's the secret it's like dystopia this, it's like, thing like yeah it's a secret dystopia it's a mirage dystopia. exactly um it's very difficult to think of utopian fiction that actually depicts something that people might actually want because you know for one thing fiction thrives on conflict and like mm-hmm. conflict means that you know you need something to be going wrong and like utopia means that you probably that you might not want something to go wrong and so on and so in a way like that's that's like one of the weird things about this book there are very few major works of fiction that try really hard to offer a positive vision Mm-hmm. Even while they preserve a traditional narrative structure, or like a, a, a traditional desire to have like conflict-driven story, basically, right? There's so few of those, and that's why. I mean, I think last time I talked about how I think this has been really influential. I mean, that's why it is because it's almost like 
more similar in this way to a policy document than it is to a piece of fiction uh-huh. because only, only like that's where you usually see utopia right <laughs> you see utopia in right. documents that describe like the effects of like certain policies like, like if we Paul do this Krugman's papers about like intergalactic <laughs> um economics or whatever well no not even that i mean like a budget i mean like a budget that a government department has that says that when we spend this amount of money on this project why like x amount of money on on y project will have z result right that's like right, that that's sense. that's more this is almost like more similar to that than it is to a lot of fiction about utopias because it's literally like investigating the detailed emotional reality of what it would be like if things worked this way like let me let me like let me work through it here mm-hmm. you know suppose it were the case that there were a society that where you could do anything you wanted, including live forever, effectively. And in that society where you could do anything you wanted, there was no risk except what risk you chose to take upon yourself. But I also think that it's worth noting that I don't think any of use of weapons actually takes place inside of the culture's like space and territory, except for a little bit that happens inside of the like ships. Like, yes, that's right. Everything happens on like these other territories. And I think that's one of the ways that he gets around the, you know, like, well, writing about utopia is boring kind of trope is like, well, what about the edges of utopia? What about the places where exactly. like utopia does not go on to infinity? And I think maybe this is what right. you're trying to say. But like, that's exactly where those I was going. fuzzy yes. edges are like kind of the interesting parts. Those are the parts where like utopia breaks down and turn and does turn into dystopia, even in the culture, right? Like even in the culture, there are like dystopian places where the culture is involved and like even like making that dystopia worse for like a time in order to like move things in the direction that they want them to in order to like, you know, keep their own way of life safe, like whatever those reasonings are. I think there are multiple like we talked about. Totally. I totally agree with that. And it's, it's so interesting in this context of dealing with utopia, like, you know, how would beings raised in like the ultimate like you know so one of the kind of you know behind the curtain ideas that animates a lot of his thinking of ian banks's thinking in this i think is the idea that like um growing up in you like the culture isn't just marked by material infinity and like perfect security but it's also marked by like maturity emotional maturity and like or at least the availability of emotional maturity, if you want it, um, right? And so it's like, how how does how does somebody? And that's an interesting thing by itself. And like other authors who've depicted utopia have not had the view that like there will be an opportunity for people to become more mature if they have you know more material if they have a more secure upbringing and so on. Right. Um, and I think that's actually really worth digging into a little bit because I, I, I this is one place where I think politically, at least I really ag- agree with Banks, which is that like giving people like the material means to like be happy and to be wealthy and to be healthy, like that is good for people and like promotes like personal development. And, you know, I think maybe that's the difference with, with say someone like Heinlein, right? Like things that, Oh, that, that makes you weak. <laughs> you know, it's like war makes you strong and like, you know, comfort makes you weak. And I, and I think there's a the point that Banks is making, which is like, no comfort makes you strong. Comfort like lets you think about things, lets you, 
you personally develop lets you like not have to worry about things and that's actually like good yeah i mean i think definitely we're meant to believe and i think i do believe by the that that like disease sma for all that she like has orgies and like you know these are like tradition these are like activities that are traditionally coded as like you know weak from like a stoic perspective or whatever yeah but- uh, extravagant <laughs> right yeah or, or decadent like, decadent or decadent something. right yeah, right yeah, yeah. yeah like a like a the, like a an empire in decline into decadence right for all that disease ma does a bunch of stuff like that she's clearly a more emotionally mature person than charadine zakalway who is like very <laughs> yeah. physically strong and whatever but like he's like the most fucked up person in the universe oh yeah she has her shit together and he does not she knows what she wants she knows how to get it she knows how the world works and like her place in it and like is like you know growing and is happier than him too i think is worth pointing out like yeah it's it's yeah. like a more emotionally stable person exactly but anyway so in a context it's really interesting to get to get back to what i was saying originally it's really interesting how you know in a context where we're you know there are people who have the opportunity to be exceptionally mature to be like utopian mature um how do how do those people act when they move past the boundaries of their utopia into another world that doesn't have the same rules, that doesn't have the same opportunities. This is the first world, third world problem that, that like, you know, has, is such a real serious problem. Like, how do you, how do you interact in a positive way? What's right? What's wrong? How do you help Mm -hmm. people or not help people or leave them alone or not leave them alone or whatever? What's the right thing to do in that context? Um, It's so interesting to see. And it's, um, that's one of the scenes that really stuck out to me in, in this book, in Use of Weapons, investigating this, this kind of uh, nexus of different issues, is when in the, very, in the beginning of the book, when, when Sma is alone on that random planet and she, or like she's actually, before she leaves her party planet to go um, meet up with Zakalwe, Mm-hmm. She reminisces. She thinks back to this time when she was alone on this desert planet, and she had to ask Skafan Amtaskaw, Skafi. She had to ask him to like perform, like to like you know kill people, right? In order to save these essentially civilians. Well, and, she had to ask him for help subduing people, and right? Chose subduing. To interpret that exactly. As fucking their shit up. Right. She asked him for help in a situation, in a general sense, hoping, no doubt, that he would like take the the minimum required amount of forceful action to stop violence from occurring. But right. instead, Scaffin uh, chose to like go ape shit and like just like <laughs> right. utterly destroy a bunch of humans. Um, you know, I like clearly take pleasure in doing so. Yeah, yeah, and it's so interesting because like what we have here is like, you know, two beings who are both in their different ways um, represent different ways of being like, uh, different ways of being like highly. I, I it's so difficult to I, I I need to get away from this language of like developed undeveloped because I always get bothered by that language. But basically, you know, you have these two beings who are like very powerful in this mm-hmm. context in, in a certain context where they, they have a lot of like immediate physical power and intellectual power to like affect their surroundings and help people. Um and, and like the different ways that they react. Um Scaffin Amtiska is like theoretically a mind who is like even more intelligent and mature than like the humans around him. But like he isn't. He he chooses to act out in a way that's 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 gross and awful. 
um, he has the opportunity to like, you know, help people. And he does so in a way that like, just causes enormous pain to other people and like kills them and like hurts them. And it's awful. Disease Sma, like, you know, the, the, the moment that interests me the most, it's so fascinating. I love this moment. I'm going to read another quote. Yeah, if, please do. I have it right here. Uh, one sec. My phone is slow. I apologize. Um, but basically, Fix it in post. Yeah, seriously. I um, won't actually. <laughs> um, she has an opportunity to, like, lose her shit, basically. Like, right after he commits, like, Scaffin commits all oh, his violence. Oh, right, I know what you're talking about. She, yeah, she has the opportunity to, right. like, flip her lid. And she she lets herself a little bit, right? Yeah, like, so let me, let me read the enough. quote. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, okay. Um, basically, she, she, like, curses out Scaffin and tells him to stop, like, murdering people gratuitously. <laughs> And he's like totally insouciant and like seemingly, you know, just doesn't give really give a shit. Right. She stopped then hearing the utter lack of concern in the machine's voice. She thought very clearly that she had a choice here. She could collapse weeping and sobbing and not get over this for a long time and maybe never be out of the shadow of the contrast between the drone's cool and her breakdown. Or she took a deep breath, calmed herself. She walked up to the drone and said quietly, all right, this time, you get away with it. Enjoy it when you play it back. She put one hand flat on the drone's side. Yeah, enjoy. But if you ever do anything like that again... She slapped its flank softly and whispered, You're ore, understand? Absolutely, said the drone. Slag, components, mother junk. <laughs> Oh, please, no, Scaffin Amtiskoth sighed. I'm serious. You use minimum force from now on, understand? Agree? Both. So, it's it's really interesting, like... For, <laughs> sorry, sorry, yeah. just before you go, I just want to take a moment of, like, you know, the, the, the other reason I just love Banks is his prose is so fucking good. Word. Like, he's, he's just... Uh... <laughs> okay. It is, uh, it is awesome. Continue. <laughs> yeah, no, it is awesome. That's why I, like, noted these things. It's it's rad. Um, so it's just, like, I love how she wins the book with maturity. Mm -hmm. Like, I love how even in a book that's full of gratuitous violence, that is too gratuitous, and that, like, makes the book worse, like, Ian Banks makes it so that the best character in the book is that way because she is right. the most mature person in the room. Right. She, it, like, she does the heart, like, she, she, she gets this, like, moment to face down this incredible monster of, like, her own potential hurt, and she just, like, handles it. Right. In, like, a good way. Right. She I mean, she, like, accepts, yeah. she accepts it, but, like, does not let it control her. <clears throat> exactly and she like me and she just like jumps on the situation and like says the thing that will make things better mm -hmm. in the future obviously it can't help any of the people fucking machine is already killed but you know <laughs> so um i wanted to, to to take a step back here it's been over an hour and it is 11 and only like two episodes about the book let's do real quick free will and minds 
Let's do it. Yeah, I, I want to get through the topics at, at minimum today because I think that's yeah. what we said we were going to do. Yeah. So what did what did you? I'm curious what you meant by this specifically because I can think of like a number of things that this might might mean. Like most, like the kind of most facile one is like, oh, can a you know can an artificial intelligence can a machine really think? But I, I assume that's not actually what what you're getting at here. That there's kind no, of a not not piece. so much. Um, I think you know. Like the nature of the way the culture works and the nature of the predicament that Zakalway is in, in some sense, although he's also trapped by his own, you know, fucked up nature. Right. Is that, you know, he, um, he lives in the shadow of these powers, these minds that are like vastly more intelligent, aware and informed than he is. And that have vastly more physical power on an individual level than he does. Yeah. And therefore, you know he to what extent is he really free to make his own choices in this world where everything he does is circumscribed by these like vast entities that are manipulating events beyond his ken there's a really interesting scene in chapter five actually and and this is one of the few that i i know off the top of my head um where um small comes and like finds him at whatever planet that he's on and you know he, he he kind of admits to her immediately like oh yeah i've been trying to like be the culture and like it tur- turns out it's hard <laughs> i get it <laughs> I, I done <laughs> fucked up like i get it yeah <laughs> um and you know she's like okay well we have this assignment for you and like we you know we we want to bring you somewhere else to actually like do something for us and he's like okay what is it and she's like well do, don't you want to know like you know, she tells him the like basics and he's like, okay, great, let's go. She's like, well, don't you want to know why? Don't you want to know like the lo- bigger picture here? And he's like, well, you know, I, I've realized, you know, and I think, I think this experience of like, you know, trying to make a planet better and realizing that he can't do it. He realizes the experience of like, well, you know, the, you can tell me what you want to tell me. Like the minds can tell me what they want to tell me. And I, I, I can't trust that. I can't believe that. And, you know, I, I, I won't know necessarily. So I'm happy just not like, tell me what you want me to do and I'll do it. I'm the best at what I do, but I also <laughs> don't necessarily understand what I do. Yeah. At least the bigger picture. Yeah, totally. And that's like, to me, that's, there's a question there of like, so what do we think of free will in this world? Do we think that like, it's, it, does it seem like good or fair or reasonable or possible to be an individual in a world where there are other individuals like running things so much that like you don't even know how much they're running things? Yeah. Right. What do you think of that? Like, do you think that that's a like is is it meaningful to talk about the nature of free will in that world? Does it? Do you care? Like. <sighs> Well, I think there's a there's a difference between free will and like agency and choice. Is there? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, they're, they're right. Like, there's the philosophical idea of like you know, given that like if there are choices, are we able to actually make those choices? And then it's another question of like, are there actually choices here or not? Like, dig into that. Well, okay, we could dig yeah. into that distinction. No, I'm, maybe, I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm happy to. I I, I do. A conflict. Sorry, that was a lot of ums. This is a conflict that happens like internally in the books, right? Is the idea of like what the culture wants to do is like move you along as a planet until like you want to join the culture. And there's the question of like, okay, like does that make any sense? Like, is there any real meaningful way in which you want to join the culture if they have like been designing the way your planet works for like years in order to get you to want it? 
Right. And I think I think that's the question that you're asking is like to what degree is there right. free will in that circumstance? And and you know I agree that's a that's a that's a tricky question. But I think that right like there there's two elements of free will, right? And like what the what the culture is doing in that case is not telling you like you have to do this, and it's not like you know changing your mind. It's not actually like changing the way your neurons work in order so that you can make no decision than that. What it's doing is tweaking with your preferences. And I think there's a difference between like, you know, the algorithm and like the preferences. There's a difference between like, what are the the the, the equations actually getting run at versus like stacking the variables of those equations. And I'd say what, what the culture is doing is much closer to like stacking the variables at least as much as they can. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. I don't know. I would like to believe that, like, I have free will, even though we live in a world where, like, much of our, you know, much of our variables are stacked, much of our choices are really constrained. Right, and that and would. So be... I think that's part of what it comes down to. Yeah. Um, for the record, I think that uh, free will is um, a red herring. Like communism, free will is a red herring. <laughs> you can't bring it up and then be like, yeah, I made you think of it. <laughs> I asked you about free will. It's not the right question. Well, no, no, no. It's, it's you really... answered my question, you dumb dumb. <laughs> That's not what I mean. I love discussing it. I have many more things to say about it. The sense in which I mean it's a red herring is that I think um, it's sort of like the question of what is art to me. Yeah, this is so I'm just going to go way off the reservation even more than I already have. So (laughs) so like to me, I've always felt that the question of like, oh, is that art or not is like a silly question because. Oh, yeah, I hate that question because like you're missing like what you really mean by that is something else. What is really meant by that is like, do you think it is valuable to spend time discussing this object and how it makes us feel or this experience or whatever and how it makes us feel and what we think of it and. Is it beautiful and all these other things? Like, really, you're getting at a bunch of other questions. And the question of whether it's art or not is this, like, strange sort of semantic dead end that, like, you know, has, that might have content. But if it does, it's it's actually just, like, you know, other questions disguises it. Um, I think it's a similar issue. Like, the question of whether free will exists or not is really a question of, like, a lot of other topics that kind of get like amalgamated into this concept of quote free will and quote like you're talking about agency what does that mean you're talking about choices and what those mean and you're talking about like control people controlling other people and like what that could mean and like what different levels of control look like and feel like and whether people can feel agency like you could you know there's so many different permutations of these questions i mean everything from like the simple like if you are given an order and then you follow it how much of that is your own choice like that's such a simple thing and yet it's like a very common mm-hmm. thing in d- daily life everything well and that- i think the answer to that can also like change a lot depending on the circumstances exactly totally everything from that to like a, a much weirder question of like you know um to what extent do people to what to what extent is it okay for people to feel like they're not in control. To what extent is that like morally okay for people to not feel like they're not in control? That's like such a more interesting question and that's really getting at what we're talking about here. Free will is almost just like a placeholder word for all these other more specific questions that I think right. are really, really interesting. Um, and you brought up a bunch of them just now. I mean. I think I think the, the question of 
like the the feeling of being in control is really interesting. So so it reminds me of a um of a of a meditation retreat that I went to and um Word. it was it was taught by uh by this 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 black woman, this black sun priest whose name is um uh Angel and um her at one point what someone you know we we were talking about um I forget it, probably Black Lives Matter in this context, although it doesn't like the the thing that we were talking about was was kind of less important than the thing that she said, which was, you know, we were talking about like liberation and this idea of liberation in Buddhism is is really sort of like liberating yourself from from like, you know, like not letting your emotions control you and kind of like being just aware of them and being aware of like yourself as like like a kind of multiple identities and multiple things going on. Um Excuse me. And, you know, someone someone asked about, uh, you know, like justice and this idea of like, you know, like, well, how will we know when we have justice? Like, what what will that look like? And and she asked back, like, you know, what are you worried about? Are you worried about like justice or the feeling of justice? Because those are actually two different things, right? Like this idea that like, you know, are you worried about like getting justice in the world or are you worried about like feeling good because justice has happened? Because if you're worried about the latter, it's actually like an impediment (laughs) towards justice itself. This woman sounds like a badass. She's the best. She's really cool. Um, I, I try to go to any of her things when she's in town. That's awesome. Um, but so, but it strikes me as like yeah. as as similar and you know and, and I this this I'm 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 tired so I'm rambling a little bit apologies but you no, know I, no, I think there's good. this element of like you know and I think this is what I was trying to get at a little bit is there's the question of like free will versus like do does it feel like you have free will and and part of the question of free will to me is the sense of like okay if you're given choices can you meaningfully make those choices. But there's also the question of like, are you, are you actually given choices? Are, are there actually like choices for you? And in a certain way, I think maybe this idea of like, does it feel like you're making choices is, is it, it, like you said, is the red herring? Like, does it feel like I'm making a choice is a different question than like, have I actually been given a choice? And I think, I yeah. think a lot of the culture is, you know, you've been given a choice in name only. Yeah. Right. And that's and that's really I mean, that's really part of what when I talk about the culture as as sort of like, you know, it, it, when we talk about it as kind of like this neoliberal thing in certain ways, like that's that's part of what I mean by that. Like, sure, everyone can do whatever they want, but there's sort of these like constrained preferences and there's still these sort of like, you know, technocratic minds at the top deciding what are what is acceptable to want and what isn't. I mean, it's it's really interesting because, like, even in our like actual real world politics, we see this debate all the time between the, some people think like people disagree over these things. Like people, <laughs> some people think that like you know the acceptable that like the the correct morally correct like amount of a, amount of agency to feel is like a lot. It like must be like a lot more than what other people think. Like some people think that like you know. You, you have to, like, the only real sense of agency is the sense of agency you feel, like, when you have the ability to do, like, stuff that, you know, an older, wiser version of you wouldn't want you to be doing, right, right. <laughs> you know? And other people think that's silly. Um, and, you know, and, and, like, I think to me, one of the most interesting things is the way that, like, different people's different preferences interact here. So, like, on the one hand, 
you know, there's all these people in these planets that the culture is trying to influence the politics of the planet. And like, you know, we see some of those people, but most, most of them, we don't see obviously the, the, the sort of the great mass of like anonymous, like regular people on these planets. Presumably they don't want to like be dying in crazy wars. And like one of the culture's stated aims is reducing violence in the Mm -hmm. long run. You know, and like sometimes reducing violence in the long run, according to them, means having like some kind of like localized conflict in the short run or whatever. Um, and like, you know, I mean, that's so hard to judge. Are they really right? Is that really necessary? Whatever. But like, you know, one thing to think that I like to think about is like, on the one hand, you know, if the culture is like making certain choices that constrain the actions of the people on the planet in the short run, you know, and those people on the planet don't feel their actions constrained in the short run like in the long run their act their the the their actions are like less constrained and like it's actually this like very complicated set of interaction between different people in different places and different times and like mm-hmm. different levels of choices and it's like really complicated and like the more i think about it the more complicated and weird it is <laughs> and like the less obvious it is like why what to think you know like yeah <laughs> I mean, that's not really satisfying, but like, I think this is like a really juicy topic because it's actually like on the, on the, at first glance, it sort of feels like, oh, you know, like technocrats and regular folk, like, you know, what do we, what do we feel about this? Like, you know, is free will real? But like, there's actually all these, it's, it gets more and more complicated the more I think about it. And there's a whole other layer as well, which is the fact that like, we're actually not even talking about humans now. We're talking about machines. Right. And like for all that these minds have emotions and they and they sort of operate like very you know they are written to to sort of talk similarly to people and and have like desires in a way that's basically understandable to people. For all that they are they're also machines and they sort of in some sense like they serve humans in the sense that they they for whatever inscrutable reasons are totally committed to helping people. Mm-hmm. in a very in different ways and you know perhaps not always you know immediately but 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 nonetheless it's a totally believable sincere untouchable commitment right and so they are like machines you know like it's like a, that's that's what a hammer is a hammer is something that like has a total commitment to doing what you do with it <laughs> like it's just an object like it'll just do that and you can rely on it to be an object you know, in a particular way. And you can rely on minds in this world to... So so they have that quality of machines, even though they are, like, intelligent. Right. But they're also, like, they're also, like, AIs, you know? Right. Not I, don't know, I don't know if I, like, fully agree with that. I mean, I think there's a degree to which they, you know, help humans because they are partnered with humans and they are part of the same society, but not just because they, like, serve humans. They Right. They don't serve humans, but, like, humans can rest easy in the knowledge that nothing that the humans do is going to make the machines not help them here's 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 a here which is a, bizarre right you know, like, i mean <laughs> I, I mean like the the question almost becomes like you know is that the way that you know machine ai is actually evolving and i think i think no you know like, <laughs> well, that's, <laughs> that's a whole thing i mean that's you know. yeah well i think i think it's actually worth talking about here which is the sense of like 
you know, we, we, we've, we've gone on and on about like, oh, is, is this actually like a world that's like run by technocrats, but in a way that is like, you know, socialist when you're living inside of it. And I think there's a question of like, you know, is, is that what socialism looks like? Like is, was communism unsuccessful because like a bunch of humans, like with, you know, pen and paper trying to write a five-year plan, like aren't able to do that. But a bunch of humans with like SQL databases and Hadoop clusters like are. (laughs) Uh, Oh man. How much do we want to talk about AI? I would love to talk. Let's talk about AI. Let's talk about AI. So, I think that um, AI is a term that actually obscures a lot more than it reveals. Um, really, what we're talking about are computer programs that have specific purposes. And in every case, these computer programs uh, either you know accomplish their specific purposes or fail to accomplish them in a way that is fundamentally the same to like all the other computer programs that are also doing that, yeah. except for the fact that like they're like some of them are like a lot better at purposes that seem a lot more obscure at first glance than other purposes might well the way the way i always when i whenever i have this conversation with people i always like to define terms a little bit because i think in popular consciousness especially in in technology and like what technology is available right now ai means actually like two different things or actually i would say ai means three different things and oftentimes like the same like two people will mean two of these different things in a conversation and it gets really weird. So one is that AI means, especially right now, there's a lot of talks of like bot-like interfaces, something like Alexa, you know, AI means more or less just like natural language processing as a like human machine interface. Um, and to me, like that's not necessarily like usually there's some sort of AI that like, you know, lets the natural language processing happen but just because you can you know type full sentences and get like a bot to answer you back that's not necessarily any more interesting ai than than anything else in fact usually it's a very kind of like you know behind the scenes it's like if then statements and it's a pretty boring (laughs) program overall um and so, you know, I think then when you're talking about AI after that, you're really talking about two things. One, one is like machines that can do really, really smart stuff. And often now we're talking about, you know, machine learning, neural networks, big data, like these kinds of buzzwords that are all kind of around this idea of like, you can feed these machines like way more data than a human would ever be Well, You know, we can't comprehend how much data it is, much less like the what's actually in the data. And we can get insights back from it. And so that's one thing that AI is. And this is what the Google search engine is. This is what, you know, how how self-driving cars work is they get like a shit ton of like data about the road and about like, you know, from their cameras and all of this and from GPS and they make decisions. They have insights on that data and they make decisions and you know, how fast should I go and what direction should I point the wheels in? Um, and then finally you have kind of like human-like intelligence right like that's the third thing that ai can kind of refer to is this idea of like simulating human minds or like you know maybe creating non-human minds but that are at least like you know smarter than we are and like some somehow like noticeably intelligent they don't just like they're not just big algorithms and maybe you know like a a a big data it's like big inscrutable algorithms machine learning like we don't know what those algorithms are doing but 
you know, it's just algorithms. Whereas like with the human level AI, it's kind of like, oh, there's, there's a, there's a ghost in the machine. There's something to it that like we, that's not just algorithms, or at least it looks that way to us. So I think it's worth yeah. like in, in, when we're talking about that, like splitting that apart. And I think what's interesting now is that second kind of AI, right? It's, it's the, it's the, the kind of AI that has gotten like really, really good. And that is really, really scary is that second kind of AI where you can feed it a bunch of meaningful insights. Now, do these kind of like big behavioral change type stuff that we see, for instance, you know, Facebook at the, at the very basic end, like, you know, can sell you things and make you want things. Facebook can like literally change its algorithm and make you happier or not. And like they've done experiments, so they like know how to do this, <laughs> you know, because they can like, not because any individuals looking at these posts and saying like, oh, this post is happy and this post is sad, but because they can, you know, through data analysis, figure out whether this post is happy or this post is sad. And, and they do that, you know, like the fact that they're able to means that they are making some choice about whether they're like making you happy or sad. Um and, and, you know, this is, this is going a little bit off the rails, but, you know, I, th I think that that's the question that I, that I have is, you know, it's, it's almost the, the question is almost to put it in like terms that you and I know really well, which is like, did the high modernist era like come a little bit too early? <laughs> you know, it's like, is this like this idea of central state planning actually like more possible now than it has ever been in, in history because we can, you know, you know, we've always tried to make plans in a very human way before. And the question is, can we make plans in an inhuman way, but that actually like work better than human plans would? And if so, like that's terrifying to me. Uh, yeah. I mean, I think like, I think it's the same shit with a different gun. It's I, I think what we're talking about here is the difference between a bolt action rifle and a Gatling gun. It's not the difference between magic and like, like, you know, setting aside the famous Arthur C. Clarke quote, like, I don't think we're talking about, like, I think it's super important to, like, be really precise and specific about what this stuff is. And, like, that's why I hate the term AI, because it just doesn't help people understand what you're talking about. Right. Well, that's why like, I tried to split it apart. Yeah, no, 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 I, I, I think it was good. No, no, I think that was good. Um, uh, because, like, you know, when you, like, this, there's not one thing. You know, there's not one no. algorithm that we're talking no. like there's there's like there's an entire like set of like different disciplines with different bodies of research and different algorithms and different implementation cases and different like underlying technologies and different programming language that have like been amalgamated into this like big concept of artificial intelligence, which is just not even what most of it even is like like you're saying, even in this category, even in this second category that you've put forward of like machine learning algorithms. I mean, some of that stuff is a lot scarier than others of that stuff. Mm -hmm. You know, some of that stuff is really simple. Like, like nowadays, if you go to take a machine learning class, the first thing you'll learn is linear regression, right? which you may also have learned in a statistics class because it's, that's the same. It's just like, you know, it's just predicting stuff in very simple ways that like people have known how to do for like, you right. know. Right. But now we have the computing power as well as i think some of the, the the just paradigms and frameworks for like how to do that in a really big way yeah as it's well true. as the data collection capacity yeah it's true I, I mean like you know totalitarian tendencies of different governments are always scary and like technology you know enables those things but it's still like there's 
a lot of there's a, a a bunch of different races going on at the same time always between different actors and different like types of action being more effective or less effective one you know for instance it has been the case for a while that like in the cybersecurity world attacking is is easier than defending yeah and that's that's like a fundamental feature of the world now but that hasn't always been true in security you know in different eras different kinds of paradigms have been dominant in security and that may not continue to be dominant there's this constant race going on there's constant jockeying to see if that's going to continue to be true i think what people make the one one thing that 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 makes me more optimistic about the future is that i think that things are much more in flux than some people do i think that like you know the the this stuff that people are calling ai is not is like it's 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 not really fair to think that we're like on this sort of like fundamental trajectory heading in this direction towards like certain outcomes like definitely no, i'm not arguing that i don't think you are no i'm not trying to i i don't want to suggest okay. you are i i i i um I, I say this stuff you know for anyone who's listening who may have right. you know heard right. these arguments elsewhere but anyway i think we we you know we could talk about ai for a long time <laughs> right um i mean obviously like of, we will too over the course of this podcast given yes, that like we're no doubt science fiction <laughs> no doubt but in the context of this book there's one other thing i'll say which is just that like it's one feature of the AI discussion is, is a concept that I think is central to the way, or is like intrinsic to the way Ian M. Banks talks about the minds and talks about characters in this book. And that's the concept that there are different levels of intelligence, that there are like ways of being sentient that are like hierarchically superior to other ways mm-hmm. and that enable you to like just see more and be smarter and know more and do more things and affect the world in a more sophisticated way and that you know given the existence of levels like that you know you have you can have therefore entities that like are like godlike in their intelligence in other words these minds mm-hmm. and then the minds come in different shapes and sizes too they have their own hierarchy like something like scaffen amtiska is you know he's a small fry compared to one of the gigantic gsv spaceships right but which he is can like, still like have entire conversations in like nanoseconds that would take us hours to have exactly and this is actually it's interesting to like pull back and like recognize that as the conceit that it is like Nobody really knows if it's really possible for something sentient to be like that much smarter than something. Like, right. is that how sentience works? Right. Maybe. Like, it might be. Or it might be that it isn't. And in fact, what the way it works is more like, you know... Right, like something that smart would look more like a super organism than a single organism. It would look like yeah. a bunch of individual things, or maybe it would look like an ant colony, or it would look like right. a planet, and there'd be nothing obviously right. like. Or it would look like nothing. its own culture, almost right. Like it could have like you know m- many multiple personalities inside of it, or many multiple person the consciousnesses inside of it potentially. Sure, sure, and and the the whole idea that we can like perceive something recognizably sentient about some about other stuff that's like really different from us right to me to me is like it's important to call that out as as a concept that may or may not be true right well no i i totally agree with that and i and you know again to go back to some of the stuff that i was talking about like like obviously sure like a lot of like machine learning is linear regressions but i think some of the you know there there are like these these 
there is like AI now that is like really, 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 really smart, but like looks nothing at all like humans. So we don't think of it as AI. And I think that that is a part of the point I was trying to like ineloquently <laughs> like call out. Yeah. It has the ability to recognize patterns better than us. Oh yeah. But like it only recognizes certain kinds of, like a tiny, tiny number of different certain kinds of patterns. Right. And like, that's all it does. And it does that when you push a button and at no other time and that's it. It's literally a a computer program that does a thing. Absolutely. I mean, I, I think too, though, that, you know, what, and one of the pieces I've always liked about the culture novels is that I think that banks gives you some hints about that like banks like like for instance that the the ships usually have some sort of like robotic avatar that they inhabit and you know it's always unclear the degree to which like that avatar is you know its own mind within this giant culture and this giant kind of like hive mind that is the mind overall versus to what degree it is just like you know the the mind the ship mind like giving you you know like puppeteering something rather and it's in it mm. and it's it's itself right and i think i think those questions are, are are interesting and and you know i think there is this idea that like okay well if you if you have maybe a kind of an inhuman consciousness that is smart enough it can give you a pretty good like simulacrum of a human thing <laughs> for you to talk to sweet i think that's a cool idea i like talking about that um the the whole like you know, which thing really represents it is like a really cool set of ideas. Um, mm-hmm. But um, at this point, how do you feel about where we're at? Uh, I I feel pretty good. I think we've discussed the majority of what we wanted to. I, you know, I wanted to actually ask you a question. And, and I think, did you, like, I know, I know before you've talked about having like wanting to have some like surprises and some surprise questions for, for me. And I have one or two for you. And I don't know if you have any, any back. And I think maybe <laughs> we could talk about those for like 10 or 15 minutes and then call it, call it a night. All right. All right. Let's do it. <clears throat> do you, do you have some questions as well? Well, I think I actually already asked you a lot of stuff that I wanted to ask you. Okay, <laughs> it kind of cool. got worked in. <laughs> it kind of got worked in. Um, um well, what, one ahead, thing I, I wanted to like call out and talk about a little bit because I think it's actually something that doesn't get handled very well in this book, and part of the reason I don't like it, which is just uh, Banks's like handling of like women and female characters generally mm-hmm. in the book. Yeah, good call. Um, you know, because I think I think especially when Zakalway is involved, like female characters are always secondary to him. Like he, he, there's the chapter where he like falls in love with the poet. And I, I looked and her name is in there once he mostly like calls her like the woman or the poet, or just like refers to her as she, um, in a way that isn't true of other characters. And there's also, there's the, um, you know, there are a lot of like female characters that he obviously feels like, protective of especially in his kind of like backstories you know there's there's the one where like he's uh it's like raining and he like finds a woman and like you know like doesn't kill her <laughs> or whatever that was a really you know, annoying and yeah. i really didn't like that one yeah, yeah. I, I really felt that that was you know the one of the the least well handled chapters but there's also there's the you know there's the winter palace and like the princess inside of it and there's all these kinds of you know it's like there's often this sort of like you know princessy type characters and and there's his sisters as well yeah, or stepsisters a lot of damseling goes on yeah that's the that's the right word for it that's what i'm i'm trying to get at and you know and i found that 
obnoxious. Agreed. Very obnoxious. And I I like what you said about Sma actually being kind of like the, you know, the most together character, because I think that's true. And I think that, that that actually made me feel a little bit better about the novel. But when I was reading it, I was really kind of like, ah, like... Uh, every single like character is like a damsel. She's, you know, like her, her role is to get killed in an honor killing, (laughs) you know? Yeah. It's really unfortunate because I think it's based on, I mean, the sense that I get, which is admittedly, I have to sort of strain to get this. It's definitely, I could, I think, you know, I'm really I I know bending over say. backwards to get this sense. The sense that I get is that he doesn't mean to do this kind of writing, that he like wants to be supportive right. and feminist, but he just doesn't get there right. at all. Right. I, I, like there's a lot of there's right. a lot of issues on that front. And I you know, I think there's also an argument to be made and I still don't like it, even if this is true, which is like, you know, part of this is because of Sakalway and because of the way that he like like you know, it's it's actually a character trait in the way he relates to women and not the way that, like, Banks is thinking about these women. But I still, you know, I, I think that comes back to the, like, sense of, like, I didn't really like the twist. I didn't really, like, find the whole thing that interesting. And if that's why he kind of, like, treats all these women as damsels, like, it doesn't come across very well and isn't, like, a really interesting statement about him. It doesn't get explored. It gets towards a, towards a lot of the of the pieces. All right. Yeah. So one thing that I was going to ask you, and I can't, I honestly at this point can't remember if I asked you this already. <laughs> Let's go for it. <laughs> um, so uh, I realized I said I was going to ask you a question and then I just talked about my feelings about women in this book, <laughs> but you know. <laughs> uh, the, the implied question is, am I like, can I handle, right. can I handle your feelings? Like, <laughs> and the answer is yes, always. <laughs> um, <laughs> just hope everyone else can. Yeah. Um, actually I did ask you that. I was going to ask you, so would you join contact? I don't think you asked me that. If you did, I yeah. zoned out. <laughs> yeah. Would you um, join contact ever in your like infinite contact? lifespan? Well, I think they have 400-year lifespans. But they could. They can choose to live longer. Right. That's true. That's true. Some of them do. Um, I don't know. That's that's. I don't know if I feel comfortable answering that question. It's hard to put myself in the mindset of someone who lives in utopia. I, th- I think that's like a, a, a maybe a key element of some of this is it's actually like hard to imagine being as like put together as small. <laughs> <laughs> um, so... Uh, Another question I have for you is, Ian M. Banks, would he make a list of people you would want to invite to the um, dinner party at the end of the universe that you would host? Oh, yeah, totally. I mean, as long as, you know, I mean, are you limiting the number of people that I get to invite to that dinner party? No, but like if you wanted to, presumably you can't invite literally all, everyone because you, know, right. you want it to be a good party. Right. And, I, you know, I want to I want to invite enough people that I can talk to them um, or yeah. as few people as I can talk to them. Yeah, I think I think I think so. I yes, he's he's. You know, I feel like I wish I could ask him some of these questions and point out some of these things. You know, I like I wish I ever had yeah. the chance to um actually at at one point during the when I was 
you know, like I was running this like science fiction book club while he was still alive. And um, at one point, one of the, the users like interviewed him and like posted and like asked people to, you know, send their questions in. And he would like ask banks like the questions that people sent in. And I, I, I didn't see it until after it had happened, but I saw like the, the, the interview that happened from it. And um, so, you know, the, the point is I almost feel this like, beyond just the general like he's an interesting person and i'd love to talk to him there's also this like very personal sense of like oh, i missed it <laughs> you know that's really cool i never knew that that's awesome yeah so i i think i think so i think definitely um so plus, like he yeah. he if you've ever seen an interview with him he seems just like such a like happy and like interesting person like he'd so, be great at a party i completely agree I, uh, like a year or two ago, I read a book that he wrote called Raw Spirit, hmm. which is the closest thing to an autobiography I believe he ever wrote. Mm-hmm. It's a book about how he, he got this like ludicrous assignment from some, I don't even know, from his publisher. I don't know how this came to be exactly, but he went, he undertook the project to go to every school scotch distillery in scotland (laughs) on a road trip in like fancy old cars this sounds amazing because he was a car enthusiast oh okay and he wrote this like luxurious you know long slow meandering book about that experience and he just like it's just him hanging out like like having fun with his buds like going around drinking lots of scotch talking about whatever he wants you know and it's like he ends up, you know, gets into like random things from his childhood. It's just like, uh-huh. it's this, it's this travelogue basically, but it's just hanging out. With, it's the closest thing to hanging out with him that you can, that you can get. Right. Right. That sounds really fun. I might, I might look that up at some point. It's great. Ken McLeod is in it, of course. Right. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> A lot of scotch. Yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> I have one more question for you. Yes. What is your GSV name? so hard right <laughs> oh yeah i wanna i wanna i i almost came up with something but it like the pun didn't quite work um oh man I, i'm gonna say keep on trucking because i feel like that's what i'm doing right now and it's keep... a little bit of a grateful dead <laughs> yeah all right all right <laughs> i feel like i feel like there's got to be some good kind of like you know pun slash reference in a good in a good ship name Honestly, I feel like mine would be plot in culture novels. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, I, I, you know, I had my, I, I know what my last question was, which is, um, you know, this gets back. It's not, a, I'm, it's another statement on the question. I'm that guy. Um, <laughs> that guy at every film screening you've ever been to. So, so wait a second. Let me get this, let me get this straight. You don't have a question. <laughs> <laughs> We're a little bit punch drunk at this point, I think. <laughs> um, oh, yeah. I did have another question. I was going to ask you: Are you drinking anything? And if so, what? I'm drinking water because I don't actually drink alcohol. Well, it could have been tea. I mean, I oh no, I'm, I, yeah, no, I'm, I'm not. I'm drinking water. What are you drinking, Matt? I have a Trillium Scaled India Pale Ale, and it's empty now because I <laughs> drank it drank, all. I, drink it <laughs> <laughs> no no for the for these i i just like to fill up my water bottle as much as i can because i get parched well um, you are well known for your um facility at making cool things that can be consumed 
That's so. true. They tend to they tend to be hard to drink on air because I don't want to burp okay. a lot. Sure. Fair enough. <laughs> to be quite fair, Frank. Fair enough. Um, no, but the uh, the so the thing that I we we touched on it a little bit, and and I wanted to now talk about it again after having read the book, which is you know, are you excited for the TV show, and like, what does it? Oh, <laughs> and and there's there's a part two to this question, which is you know. Like one thing uh, you talked about in the, a lot in the last episode is the way that like Banks is seen inside of like political circles and particularly like kind of like left wing political circles and like the way that he's kind of an influence there. And it got me thinking afterwards about the ways in which like he's also a big influence in the like tech world that I, I work in. Right. Like a lot of a lot of techies know who Banks is fame. I mean, you know, um, uh, uh, Jeff Bezos bought the rights to consider Flabus to make it into a TV show because he really likes that novel, right? Because he like loves the culture books and like wants to see them made into a TV show. And he's like, I'm a fucking billionaire. I'll just do it. Um, and Elon Musk famously has named a lot of the uh, drone ships, the the like landing ships after like ship names in, in the culture series. And so, you know, like on the one hand, like, are you excited for the the TV show? But also like, what do you think about this way in which like, you know, these kind of like very technocratic, neoliberal kind of like oh, or, you know, overlords, <laughs> you know, are influenced by banks. And what does that mean? I mean, it's good. If they're going to be influenced by anybody, they should be influenced by somebody who's a smart, subtle, interesting, left-wing, you know, sincere personable guy mm-hmm. i mean i could think of a lot of worse choices you know um frankly like it it's really good for the world that the science fiction space in english is full of such um it's full of people like ian and banks because right. he's a he's like legitimately a force for good i think like if you read his books you will probably come away with a lot of useful stuff that will help you i hope I think, um, as far as the books and technocrats and whatever the hell that was, I, I mean, I'm I'm just tired enough that I'm <laughs> gonna respond as best I can to this. Um, I think in between breaking champagne bottles over like wind turbines, you know, in a pose designed <laughs> to flaunt your new triceps, um, if you have a moment to. Um, you know, be a patron of the arts, then you should do it. <laughs> um, I, you know, I mean, like, it's it's a nice thing. I think there's an argument, there's an effective altruist argument in favor of, like, maybe not so much prioritizing donating to the arts and prioritizing instead donating to help people live. It's a reasonable or argument. Or paying taxes. Paying taxes, exactly. You know, there's lots of other things he can spend his money on, too. Um, that might be more important, but I, uh, I'm not opposed to donating to the arts in as much as that's what we're, this is. And that's what we're talking about. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and the TV show, what do, what do we think? Cause I, I feel, I feel like after reading this, that, that is actually one thing I'm kind of excited for, you know, and it's a, it's, it's a different novel, yeah. but like I'm, I'm getting yeah. more and more like hyped for it. I hope it's good. It, it could be good. Um, it also is inevitably going to be pretty different from the books. So right. I, I'm okay with that. I'm I'm okay with there being like different versions of a cool thing. Right. You know? I mean, I th- I'm on the record with you, if not the podcast on like 
preferring it when like adaptations make a lot of changes and like you know lean into the fact that they're adaptations so i hope that they do that i hope that they don't try to you know like like do the plot <laughs> like beat by beat yeah i don't think they will just because the plots are not why people like culture books no in the first place i think no um yeah cool well i think that's it for tonight isn't it yeah um uh i guess we would definitely like to thank um our lovely um listeners and yeah thank uh, you for everyone who is stuck with the like you know what hour 45 this is probably going to get edited down to um you know i've had a fun time reading this book and doing this and this is definitely like a you know like our first pass at doing this and i'm i'm really looking forward to the the next one which will we haven't yet decided on so we'll have to like talk about that and and announce that you know we'll probably announce it on facebook and twitter um our facebook is facebook.com slash spectology um our website is spectology.com our twitter is uh at spectology pod because i couldn't get just spectology uh and we have an email address too you can email us at spectology at gmail.com so everything spectology except for twitter which is spectology pod and i don't have an instagram because i'm lazy um and i i don't i don't get it i don't get what you kids do with your social medias these days (laughs) except for all those right (laughs) except for those ones um yeah and uh and and oh we should shout out our our art is done by Noah Bradley. You can find his prints at noahbradley.com. Uh, the one I've used is Our Grasp of Heaven. It's awesome. A lot of his prints are really cool. Uh, go buy stuff from him. Uh, Very and, awesome. Absolutely. And, and our music is done by uh, a friend of mine. Uh, he goes by WJ on SoundCloud. You can just search WJ. Um, the it's great music i love it it's really fun he only Me has too. a few songs Absolutely. up there um, but it's cool spacey stuff which is you know why we chose it um <clears throat> yeah and so and and you know thank you for listening you know we're we're looking forward to doing a lot more of these and you know maybe they'll even be coherent sometimes here's to that <laughs> <laughs> all right and thank you matt this is this is this is like lovely as always no I'm glad we get you, to Adrian. we get to hang out Great. All right. Well, until next time, we'll be reading science fiction books. I don't know. I just came up with that off the top of my head. I don't like that. (laughs) Hasta luego. Yeah. Peace, everyone. Bye-bye.